Welcome to Season 25 of the Follow My Lead Podcast, where each week I bring you stories and best practices of today's leaders to help you on your leadership journey. My name is John Eads. Here we go! Welcome back. Another week to learn and grow and develop and get better, and that is exactly what we're going to do this week with my friend, Damon West. If you have not heard his story, you are about to get inspired. It is amazing. Uh, This show moved me. I mean, it gave me goosebumps. The lessons I learned from it, um, I will carry forward for a long time. And I'm excited because you're going to get the same experience I did. Just a phenomenal man with a great story. Uh, Cannot wait for you to learn from Damon. Before we get there, Just an enormous thank you to all of you who engage with us on LinkedIn. It is hard to believe, but the Building the Best newsletter is over 106,000 subscribers on LinkedIn alone. If you have not yet subscribed, go do it. Just search Building the Best or Johnny's on LinkedIn and you can find it. Uh, I'm so appreciative for us to be able to speak into your journey if if you've joined us there. This show is amazing. I can't wait for you to hear it. So without further ado, here is my friend mr damon west well damon welcome to the show john thanks a lot man thanks for having me man i really appreciate the opportunity and thanks for you being patient we've been going back and forth for what three or four months about trying to find <laughs> it's a been date. a while it's been a COVID-19, while 19 man <laughs> i hear you well i was so excited to have you on the show because just googling your name brings back a plethora of search results uh you see star qb politics Cocaine, meth, addict, burglar, author, inspiring speaker. And Those some words. Poor, and some some un, unfortunate guy in West Texas named Damon West has a photography place and a, and a chiropractor in Sacramento, California. I want to email those guys and say, guys, look, I'm sorry, man. <laughs> I'm sorry. For all those years that I was in a bad place that you Googled Damon West and it was bad. I mean, because when I got out of prison four and a half years ago, John, one of the first things I wanted to do when I got home was Google my name. My dad was like, hey, man, don't do it. Don't don't even mess with it. You're not you're not going to like what you see. But I told him I had to do it anyway. I had to see what was out there. And it was bad. It was. And that's why I said I feel like apologizing to every Damon West out there because all the stuff out there was terrible because there was nothing good to say about me at the time. And I told my dad, give me two years. Give me two years to let me work on myself and what I can add value to the world, put back in a stream of life. And I believe I can change what's on Google. And so just to hear you say that makes me feel like, hey, man, hey, dad, I did it. You know, so you've done I others. I, I had a lot of help with God along the way. So, right. Of course. Uh, for people that don't know your story, haven't read the coffee bean. Let's go to Damon West first. Tell, tell us the story of um, how did you get to jail? How long did you spend there? Uh, so let's start right there. Yeah, you know, I came from a really good family growing up. My uh, my dad was a sports writer for 50 years. He was a huge golfer. I mean, you were talking about playing golf in Maryland. My dad's an avid golfer. Him and he he got to the point one time where he was writing golf courses. You know, he'd write, write stories, but he was a golf writer. And so he'd write stories about golf courses. And he's played every golf course there is, man. I mean, all Bannon Dunes, you know, all the Pebble Beaches. And yeah. I got all of it. But it – so I had a great, I came from a great family. My parents next month will have been married 52 years. So it's not like I came from a broken home, a nice knit little Catholic family, older brother, younger brother, uh, got into substance abuse at a young age, had a lot of character issues developing, but 
but I can throw a football really well. And this is Texas, man. Texas high school football is, is as big as it gets, man. And all the stories and movies you see about it, they're true. If anything, they underplay it. It's like a religion down here. And I was a star quarterback. I was a three-year starting quarterback for my 5A school. Uh, got a scholarship to play ball at the University of North Texas. I played Division I college quarterback. Got hurt a couple years into it against Texas A&M. Didn't, uh, didn't play again. My career ended. And when my career ended, uh, you know, when I was younger, it was just smoking a little pot, drinking a little beer, you know, drinking a little booze. But, man, when I got hurt in college football, man, I, I came up to this giant fork in the road in life. And that fork in the road, you know, this happens a lot of times. We have fork in the roads all throughout our life, but we got to make a choice. You know, the right choice to go the right way, the wrong choice to go the wrong direction. But we have to live with the consequences. And at that fork in the road in life, when football was gone, I made a lot of poor choices because I had bad belief systems. And uh, I started putting in the hardcore drugs, cocaine, ecstasy pills, you name it. Somehow I graduated college in 1999. I moved off to Washington, D.C., get a job working in the United States Congress. I worked for a guy running for president of the United States and uh, raised money for him all over the country. And when he drops out of the race in 04, I moved back to Dallas, Texas, to train to be a stockbroker for one of the biggest Wall Street banks in the world, UBS, United Bank of Switzerland. And it was at that job as a broker, John, that I was introduced to, introduced to methamphetamine for the first time. And I tell people all the time, this drug is uh, it's, it was a game changer. It was, uh, it was totally down a dark and, and, and destructive path because it grabbed me. I mean, I smoked the drug one time and I was instantly hooked. And I couldn't give, I couldn't give everything away fast enough. You know, my job, my home, my car, my savings account, my family, my tethering to God. I went from working on Wall Street to living on the streets, you know, the streets of Dallas. So I'm homeless. And I started breaking into people's cars, people's storage units, and eventually started breaking people's homes. And it was a bunch of burglaries that started in the uptown neighborhood of Dallas. They called them the uptown burglaries, as a matter of fact. It was a very high-profile case. And uh, after about three years of committing property crimes against the people of Dallas, and, and look, make no mistake, I was a bad guy. I created victims along the way. I hurt a lot of people by taking their things. I think the thing I took from my victims more than anything, uh, more than any property I stole from them was their sense of security. You know, I don't know if they ever get that back. So there was real loss that was incurred by my victims. But after three years of committing these property crimes, the Dallas SWAT team on July 30th, 2008, they put an end to the uptown burglaries. And that was the day they arrested me. Or as I like to tell people everywhere I go, that was the day I was rescued. Man, I wasn't just arrested. I was rescued that day. And so I, you know, was in Dallas County Jail and uh, got, you know, got reconnected with my parents a little bit. Uh, went to trial 10 months later, May 18th, 2009. 11 years ago and one day to the day, right? We're doing this on May 19th, 2020. So, May 18, 2009, I'm standing in front of a jury in Dallas County. And this jury, John, has just listened to so much overwhelming evidence of my guilt, of my role in these burglaries, the mastermind of it, that they deliberated on my sentence for 10 minutes. And I don't know how much law and order you watch, but if a jury's gone for 10 minutes, they smoked you. And when I came back in that courtroom, that judge who hadn't smiled the entire trial was grinning from ear to ear. And he said, Damon Joseph West, you are hereby sentenced to 65 years in the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. And 65 years is a life sentence, man. That's, a, that's all your life. That's it. And they maxed me out that day. And um, that's really where my story begins. My book, The Change Agent, starts off on that date, May 18, 2009. And I call that rock bottom. See, I'm an addict. John, we talked about this a little bit before the call. I mean, being an addict in long-term recovery, you know, addicts, they talk about this place called rock bottom that you have to hit. 
when you get sick and tired of being sick and tired, when you realize that the problem, you know, isn't everything around you like you've always blamed on, it's you. The problem was me at that point, but I didn't know how to fix it. But I was going to get one of those tools along the way. And, and John, I think that in life, you know, I, in my own personal life, I haven't seen where God just reached down and healed me. You know, God put people in my life. And these people, you know, when you're younger, these people are called coaches. They're called teachers. You know, they're, there are people that are there to guide you to the next stage in life. One of these people was a guy I met in Dallas County Jail, a guy named Mr. Jackson. And, you know, I was rolling around Dallas County Jail asking all these guys how I was going to survive prison because my parents made me promise that I wouldn't come back as someone they didn't recognize, someone they, they wouldn't, that I wouldn't get into one of these white hate groups, one of these Aryan Brotherhood type gangs, because I was scared because I'd be the minority in there. So I'm asking all these guys that have been to prison before how I'll survive. And Mr. Jackson was the only guy in an entire pod of 64 people in Dallas County Jail that had anything different to say. Everybody was saying, you have to get into a gang. You can't survive without a gang. The gangs are going to be your family. But Mr. Jackson told me, he said, you can't get into that gang. You got to go the opposite path. He said, you have to recognize that prison is like a pot of boiling water. And he said, anything we put in that pot of boiling water is going to be changed by the heat and the pressure inside that pot. And he said, I want to put three things in that pot of boiling water and watch how they change. A carrot, an egg, and a coffee bean. And so he walked me through it. He said, if I put a carrot in that pot of boiling water, he said, what happens to the carrot? I said, it turns soft. He said, that's right. He said, the carrot goes into prison hard, but the water in prison changes that carrot, turns him soft. He said, the carrot got beat. He got robbed. He got raped. Manny May got killed. He said, you don't want to be the carrot. He said, what about the egg? And I said, well, the egg turns hard, Mr. Jackson, like a hard-boiled egg. He said, that's right. He said, the egg turns hard like a hard-boiled egg. He said, the egg has a shell that protects him physically, but inside that egg is not okay. He said, that soft liquid core, his heart becomes hardened. He said, if your heart becomes hardened, you're incapable of giving or receiving love. He said, if you're incapable of giving or receiving love, you have become institutionalized, and you will not come back as someone your parents recognize because your eggshell has swastikas tattooed all over it. And that's when he asked me, he said, but what about the coffee bean? And I had no clue, John. I didn't know what happened to a coffee bean in boiling water. I really didn't. <laughs> Mr. Jackson said, if I put a coffee bean into that same pot of boiling water we call prison, he said, now you have to change the name of the water to coffee. Because he said the coffee bean, the smallest of these three things, he said, small like you, had the power to change the entire atmosphere inside that pot. And he said, everybody in life puts out energy, negative or positive. He said, whatever kind of energy we put out, <clears throat> we attract back. It's called the law of attraction. He said, so if you want to walk around negative all the time and with a frown and a mean mug, you want to look hard, what you're actually going to do is, he said, you're going to attract that same kind of inmate into your world. He said, it can be a very dangerous, even deadly endeavor. He said, but Wes, if you walk around that prison with a smile on your face and you let those guys know they're not getting to you, no matter what they do, they're not getting to you. He said, you'll change that prison from the inside out. He said, the best part about it is the other coffee beans in prison, the other positive inmates will find you because of your energy. And the last thing Mr. Jackson told me before I got shipped off to prison in 2009, he said, West, go out there and go be a coffee bean. John, it was like a secret I took with me, man. And right now, the world is in a pot of warm water, right? With this COVID. Mm -hmm. We're all in this pot of warm water, but it's so important, this coffee bean message, because we have the choice. You know, will we let it beat us down and turn, turn us soft and sad and weak like the carrot or hard and mad and mean like the egg? Or will we change our pot of warm water? into a pot of coffee and find opportunities inside this situation. And there's opportunities everywhere, John. 
It's a wonderful story. Um, what what made you be receptive to it at that moment? Uh, certainly at the time, I can't imagine you thought, one day I'll write about this story and impact millions of people's lives. Uh, but so many people that are are hurting or struggling or have a lot of adversity, they close themselves up to anything from the outside that's going to help. What made you receptive to that message that day, do you think? You know, I, I think that... Um, desperation um, made me receptive to it. Uh, I think being beat into a state of reasonableness, um, and sometimes that comes from being beat down so hard, that rock bottom moment, you know, rock bottom is a place where, you know, there's nowhere to look but up. And and we say in recovery that when you get to rock bottom, you get sick and tired of being sick and tired. And so I was trying to latch on anything. Now, I didn't have a program of recovery at that time. What I had mm-hmm. was a lot of fear. John, I had a lot of fear about the situation I was about to go into. You know, my co-author and good friend, John Gordon, our friend, John Gordon, mm-hmm. he talks about fear and faith all the time. And he says, fear and faith have more in common than just the letter F. He said, they both believe in a future that hasn't happened yet. Fear is a negative one. Faith is a positive one. So I think at that point in my life, when I'm speaking to Jackson, um, I'm going, I'm vacillating back and forth between fear and faith. You know, I've got this I've surrendered to God at this point. I did that the day I got sentenced to life in prison in the showers at night. I was just like, hey, God, I can't do this anymore, man. I need you. And God was waiting there for me. But but the thing about it is, is you know, we want to play God's role, too, sometimes. You know, we want to we want to grab stuff off of God's line. And that's when we start trying to take control of things and worrying about things. Worry hmm. is one of the biggest ways we try to play God. If we're, if we're going to it's like this this chaplain, this volunteer chaplain lady told me in prison. And when I went up in the first two months of prison were brutal, man. If you read my book, The Change Agent, it talks about that. And I thought about killing myself. And I go down to the chapel and I go to, to mass. To, they had mass on Saturday mornings out there. And this volunteer chaplain lady named Miss D. Doucet, a little old lady in her 80s. And I'm telling her about, you know, I'm even questioning God. You know, how can God create a place so evil? And she said, look, here's the deal about, about faith. And she said, if you're going to pray, don't worry. But if you're going to worry, don't pray. You can't have it both <laughs> And I think when Mr. Jackson is telling me the coffee bean story, I'm worrying and praying. You know, I, I don't really have, you know, both feet firmly planted and letting God take care of this. I'm not really on the passenger side of the car. I'm still leaning over, trying to take the wheel back from him, you know. And the last time I drove the car, I drove it right into a maximum security prison, right? So, I mean, but Jackson's coffee bean story, it gave me hope. It gave me, it gave me hope that if he was telling me the truth, if Jackson was right, then, then the power is not really on the outside influence, even if it's a maximum security penitentiary in Texas, man, the hardest environment I've ever seen on the planet. You know, mm. this is as hard as it gets to live inside of a maximum security prison in Texas. But if Jackson was telling me the truth, then, then that environment is just, you know, that's just window dressing around where the change really is. The change is inside each and every one of us. And if the change is inside me, then I can control some of this. But I'm telling you, man, it didn't come with an instruction book. It's not, right. I was even, I was pissed at Jackson when I got to prison, you know, because there's no instruction manual, no learner's guide, no nothing, man. You give me this, this fable about these carrots and eggs and coffee beans, but you don't tell me how to do it. But I figured it out, man. It, it took, it took a while and it took meeting more of these guides, these people that right long in life. You, um, the, there's so many people right now, this message is empowering for each of us individually. What role does a leader play in 
helping somebody else realize that we need to be a coffee bean? I mean, can they, can the leader, the coach, uh, the CEO, whoever it is, can they help somebody else realize this? Or is just this something one person at a time can realize themselves? Yeah, the leader, the leader plays an important role here because I mean, like organizations are, um, they're a picture of your top down and your, your culture is created at the top. And so the leader has a role of creating the right culture for that. And, and, and cultivating that culture means that one, you lead by example. And, and, and I mean, you've got to be the example that sets for everybody else. So if you are that coffee bean, if, if people see you smiling, for, for example, that's something every leader can do, man. Smile and say, hey, look, you know, you know, this is going to be a tough situation. Communication is key. You, know, you look at what's going on right now, man. There is not good communication coming from anywhere about what's going on right now. Because effective communication is, is also telling somebody that, hey, you know, this is a bad situation and it may get worse before it gets better. But here's what's going to go on and here's how we're going to get through this, you know. But effectively communicating is something the leader has to be able to do. The leader has to be able to communicate to everybody else what the facts are, you know. The minute you start finding out that the person leading you has been leading you the wrong direction or has not been upfront with you or not been honest with you, that leader loses that respect or, or that, that, that attention of that person. It's imperative to be honest and upfront whenever you're a leader because when you lose that, what, it's very hard to get back. And it's something that, that, that you see in, in, you see it more often than not, you, you see a lack of that in leadership. Mm-hmm. You know, here lately, I mean, in the last few years, you just see it, you just say anything you want and, and then you come, you get corrected and nobody ever owns up to it. it. It's a lack of responsibility. But I think one of the things that's missing from a lot of leadership in the world right now is vulnerability. I think vulnerability is a strength. I'll tell you who I learned this from though, John, was, was Dabo Sweeney, my, my, my good friend Dabo. Dabo leads with vulnerability, man. These guys at Clemson that played for him, uh, Dabo's vulnerable. I've seen Dabo get emotional in front of his guys and these guys locked in on him. They were like zoned in when D- Dabo started tearing up, talking about a certain subject. And then after the, after he was done and broke the, the meeting, these guys swarmed around Dabo. Man, they wanted to make sure Dabo was. They, he brought them closer by being authentic and vulnerable. Man. And that's one of the mm-hmm. things I don't think enough leaders do. I think people confuse vulnerability with being a weakness. It's not. It's one of your biggest strengths. Um, let's turn our attention to uh, parenting. Um, I know you have a stepdaughter and so many of our listeners have kids. Um, uh, and sometimes kids, you might have this coffee bean mentality, but our, our kids might not, or they might look at things and get hard or they get adversity and they turn negative. What can a parent do to, to help their kids be more like a coffee bean or act like a coffee bean? Yeah, that's a good question, John, because with my stepdaughter, with Clara, um, you know, when Kendall and I, my wife Kendall and I got together, she first thing she told me was that, hey, look, she's like, Clara has an amazing father. She has a great dad. You know, they, they've been divorced for several years, but she said, Clara has an amazing father. So your role in this is not to be Clara's father. She has a great father. Your role is to be her friend, uh, her playmate, and her role model. You know, you be there for Clara, but be a role model. So I take that very serious, John. And so Claire and I have a really good relationship and um, she knows that she can come to me and, and I'll put her first, you know, I'll put down stuff I'm doing if I can 
to spend time with her and play with her. But I also want to teach her lessons whenever we're playing. And one of the lessons I teach her, I let her win a lot of times whenever we're playing, <laughs> you know, games and stuff like that. Um, because, I mean, it, she, it makes her feel good to win. But one of the things I do whenever I lose is I show her how to lose, you know, because that's an important thing to learn and understand in life because loss is, an, is a part of life. And, and I don't, you know, I don't take that lightly because knowing how to lose is a very good life because when you lose and you understand that, Hey, you know what, that loss was there for a reason. It's to teach me some lessons. It's to learn from my mistakes. And so I don't have to repeat them. And then you can build from that. But if you get sidetracked by a loss and get just thrown off your game and you can't recover, then you got a bigger problem than when you started. So one of the things I've tried to to instill in Clara is that, you know, Hey, we're going to lose sometimes. But that's part of it, you know, and the good thing is we get to get back out there and we get to play again. And if we lose again, we get to keep trying, but we don't ever quit. And that's one of the things I've really worked with her. You know, I saw early on, you know, she would get discouraged sometimes when we we're playing a game or something like that. It won't stop. And I'm like, Claire, we don't, we don't stop like that. We don't right. stop until we're done. We don't, because we keep going and we don't quit. When I taught her how to ride a bike, it was two years ago. I taught her how to ride a bike and, um, you know, think back to kids learning how to ride a bike, man. That's a hard deal, man. It, it takes a lot of courage. And that's one of the things, thank God, she has. I mean, she has a ton of courage for a little, little girl. And she just, she kept getting back up. But there were times when she didn't want to get back up and keep riding. I'm like, Claire, we got to go. We got to keep riding. Because that's the thing, though, John. If we allow kids to under, to to say, hey, it's okay to quit and, and stop doing it, that becomes habitual. Mm-hmm. But you know what else becomes habitual? Being positive. And trying and, try, and trying your best and, and losing with grace. Those things become habitual too. And I think all that goes into being a coffee bean because being a coffee bean is always keeping a positive outlook no matter what's going on around you. And uh, look, I mean, let's face it, loss is a part of life. Right now, if you don't believe that, I mean, you know, 36 million people have lost their jobs in the United States and some of those aren't going to come back. And, mm-hmm. and you know, the coffee bean message, I mean, it's something I think every – kids should have in the first grade. Matter of fact, you know, speaking of that, John Gordon and I are writing a book called The Coffee Bean for Kids. So, but I do think it's something important. And the other part to that, John, to answer your question is that kids I have found can pick up the concept of the coffee bean. They get that really well. They understand it. They, because they've seen a carrot, an egg and the coffee bean, it's something they can relate to. And, um, and her and her friends, I, I hear them talking about, you know, they see me, hey, coffee bean, hey, coffee bean. You know, little kids will say that, but they get it, man. It's awesome. Um, it's a little bit of a tough question, but let's see how you handle it. Um, are some people more pre – are they wired to be a little bit more like a coffee bean than another? Or can, and can we all learn to be like that? What kids or not? I mean, because so many, well, so many out there – you know, they struggle with positivity, they struggle with adversity, they, they do worry that, you know, they, they just seem to be a little bit more wired that way. Um, certainly being with Corona and quarantined, you know, so many research shows that introverts are struggling more than extroverts, just, just simply because there's not as much hope in the future as there might be without it. Um, what message do you have to someone that really struggles with or might not be wired the same way that someone that, that gets a little bit easier? Yeah, I think, John, it's a great question, by the way. I think the natural 
the natural tendency, especially right now in our current times, you know, we're talking about times in the past 10, 15, negativity is probably a greater force out there than positivity is. I think people, it's more natural to be negative about stuff um, because that's fed to you. I mean, you're right. You're fed it from the news. You're fed it from all over places. People call up and one of the first things they want to do is complain, you know, and that's, it's, it's within us to, to sit there and, and look for the glasses half full a lot of times. And that's what we have to do. We have to rework the way we think about something. You got to look for a positive outlook on something and look at and I get negative too. I, I go back and forth from being a cough, being a carrot, an egg and a cough over this coronavirus thing. I've gone, I've played all those roles. I've played the carrot, I've played the egg and I've played the coffee bean and it's okay. And that's the, I think the underlying message is it's okay. You're going to have bad days. That's just part of it. But here's the thing about having a bad day that you need to understand. And it took me going to prison to get this. And I got to remind myself a lot of times, John, to be very patient with other people, people in getting them into recovery or, or handling adversity in life is that I have had the ultimate training ground, right? I mean, I've been inside of a maximum security level five penitentiary in Texas but I went in with the mindset that I'm going to not only survive in here, but I'm going to thrive in that place. And, and I, you know, I went in there and worked on myself every day, spiritually, mentally, and physically. And that's part of the deal. You know, for you to have a positive outlook on life, you've got to work on yourself. You can't just expect this to come to you because if the natural tendency is to be negative, then if you just do nothing, you'll be negative, Right. But if you actively, if you proactively got up and said, hey, look, you know what? I'm going to work out in three areas every day, spiritually, mentally, and physically. I'm going to get into shape. And, I, and that means that, that spiritually, a spiritual workout for me is I talk to God every morning. I pray and meditate. Prayer is when I talk to God. Meditation is when I listen. And, and my prayer is the same. Maybe you can use my prayer. Maybe that helps one of your listeners. Yeah, tell us. Tell us it. My prayer to God every morning is the same one I've been saying since I was in prison, you know, it's since 2011. And I I say, God, put in front of me what you need me to do today for you. And let me recognize it when I see it. That's the only thing I ask for, those two parts. And then I listen and and I wait for instructions. And and then I know that I'm going to go through my day and stuff is going to come my way. You know, uh, whether it's a Zoom call or a podcast or whatever it is in isolation still, there's ways to be positive influences on other people. Mentally working out, you know, mentally working out means what am I feeding myself? What am I, what kind of books am I reading? What kind of videos do I watch? What kind of websites do I go to? How much time am I spending on social media? What do I look at when I'm looking at social media? Do I have the news on all the time? Is it on the background and, and just talking heads, screaming at each other or pumping out negative opinions? You know, I tell people all the time about the news, man, find the facts and the story and get it off, man. You don't need that stuff. You don't need people scaring you to death out there. But um, but we have the power to change our days anytime we want. And that's one of the things that I've learned about, you know, being a positive person is that I'm negative sometimes, but I can turn that around. Whether it's 10 o'clock in the morning or 10 o'clock at night, I'll go look in a mirror, anywhere I can find a mirror and look in the mirror and say, hey, dude, you don't have to live like that, man. Stop, you know, start your day over right now. Let's be positive. Be a coffee bean. And that's it, man. I'm taking back control of that day. Because being a coffee bean means that you understand there's four things you control in life. And those four things are what you think, what you say, what you feel, and most importantly, is everybody's going to see what you do. And if you'll concentrate your powers, your, your energy 
on working on those four areas and let the other things happen around you. Things you can't control, you should not worry about. And that's easy to say in theory, but in practice, it's very hard. And it took me a while to get that. Um, but one of the other things that I, I tell people all the time that are trying to, to find ways to be positive, find ways to help other people out because that's help, that helps you out. Find ways to be, well, I tell them the secret to life is called servant leadership. And servant leadership is when we're helping other people achieve their goals in life, helping to raise other people up to a different station of life. Because when we're helping other people, and that's when we're at our best, John, mm-hmm. and every one of us has the ability to be a servant leader. I'm reminded of a story uh, about Mr. Rogers. Did you watch Mr. Rogers growing up? Did you ever I, watch? Of course, of course. Yeah. I haven't seen the movie yet, but I but I haven't I know. seen the movie either. But there's a story about Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers, before he was a children's television show guy, uh, he was a Presbyterian minister. This is back in the 1960s. And um, he said he went to a church service one Sunday and they had a substitute preacher come in. And he said he sat through that substitute preacher's sermon. And at the end of the sermon, John, he thought to himself, that was the worst sermon I've ever heard. He said it was awful. He said it was terrible. He said the guy almost put him to sleep. He said it went against every rule of giving a sermon, man. Like, where did this guy learn this? And just as he was about to turn to the woman next to him and tell her how awful this guy's sermon was, he stopped. He bit his tongue because the woman next to him, she was in tears. She was in tears and she turned to Mr. Rogers and she said, that was the most beautiful sermon I've ever heard. She said, it was the absolute right thing I need to hear at the absolute right time in my life. She said, I will never forget where I was this day that I heard this sermon. And that's when Mr. Rogers realized uh, this point that I'm making here is that every one of us has the power to reach someone else. You know, no one person can reach everybody, but everybody can reach one person. But he also learned another important lesson that day. He said that while he was coming in judgment, she, she was coming in need. Hmm. And I think we have to remember that, that so many people are coming in need, but sometimes it's masked in this negativity, this judgment, you know, people want to be judgmental of other people immediately and whenever I, I, I see that someone's being judgmental, overly judgmental or, or overly negative, there's some pain in there somewhere that you want to try to figure out where that is and, and figure out how do you turn them into a coffee. Well, it's a, it's just a, it's a wonderful story. Um, and I appreciate you sharing it. Uh, let's, let's end on uh, two things I wanted to ask you before we close up. Uh, the first sure. is, the first is, is really centered around it's graduation time. Uh, you got a lot of people graduating college about to enter the workforce, take yourself back to 99. Uh, what's your message to college graduates, even maybe high school graduates uh, in this current, in this current season? Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I, you know, graduated college in 99, I graduated my master's last year, 2019. So um, having recently been a graduate, you know, it's, it's something that's very close from that. My message to them is this, that you have this idea of what things are going to look like. And if anything that 2020 has taught us a lesson is that things aren't always going to work out the way we think they're going to work out. And the reason is, is that we don't know the future. We can't control the future and we can't stay. We can't constantly live in our past because our past, we don't live there, you know, I would tell them that your past is your lesson. You learn from that and, and you, you can teach others with your past. And that past is great. That past is a teacher. Uh, the present 
today, I would tell them, make the most of every day because the, this is something, you got another bite of the apple of life. You get a chance to put back in the stream of life. But I would tell them to make sure to make you know the choices today based on what's going on around you right now. Don't, don't live in the past and don't look to the future. The, the future is your motivation, right? The future is there. And it's not something you can reach out and touch right now, but you can start planning for it by motivating yourself for the right things. And here's what I would tell them, that if you don't motivate yourself with the right things, you're setting yourself up for failure. If you establish an identity, if you identify yourself and you build up yourself around things that can be taken away from you, material things, your job, your home, your car, if you wrap your identity up in these things, then you're going, you're going to set yourself up for a very disappointing life and a lot of unnecessary failure. Because I would tell them that having gone to prison for seven years and three months, made parole, and now that I'm out, I go to prisons all over the country and speak in there. And, and today I'm a college professor at the University of Houston downtown. I went back and got my master's and now I teach a class, John, I teach a class called Prisons in America. I mean, hmm. what world does that happen in that a guy that was in prison in America four and a half years ago is teaching college students about prison America. So I would tell these students at this graduation that I could tell you with authority that I know what the toughest prison in America is. I know the hardest place in this country to do time is the prison in your mind. And I would tell them that I meet more people out here in the free world that are locked up than I ever did when I was in prison because more people are imprisoned by their thoughts and by their things than by steel bars and barbed wire and concrete. But I would go further with them, John, because I wouldn't just tell them what the problem is. I tell them a solution because there's nothing worse than someone telling you what's wrong with the situation, but have no solution to offer. Right. So I would tell them the solution to this is, is simple. You find things to put your value in that no one can take away. And I would tell them when I put my value in my faith, you know, no one can take away my faith or or my relationships. That's another thing I put my value in the relationships you build in life. You know, you tell these young people, this is going to be the most important thing you're going to have is these relationships. And then the other thing I put my value in is my ability to serve other people. There is no economic downturn, no pandemic, and no prison sentence that can take one of those three things away from me, John. And if I have those three things in front of everything I do, then I'm going to have a fulfilling life no matter what kind of house I live in, no matter what kind of job I have, no matter what kind of car I drive, that I will be able to go out there and be a happy person. And that's the thing. We've got to put our value into things that we can control and things that add value to our lives. Man, you got me ready to run through a wall, Damon. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome, man. man you, you know, don't you, do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't no, do it. I'm not. But, but, it, but it's got me, you know, you just think that as, a, as men, uh, as fathers, as husbands, as even as a young man, you know, um, make you, you you got a message that makes makes you want to be a better human being and i and i appreciate that with everything i'm worth um there's a guy behind you uh named bob bodine on a picture oh yeah and bob bodine uh taught me a lesson i could never repay him for this lesson more that i couldn't pay him enough money um bob bodine taught me a lesson called the father's blessing and it goes like this damon um that you put your hands on your kid's heads and you tell them before bed, you're going to do great and mighty things. You are going to change the world. I'm going to give everything that I have to you. And, and I've been doing the father's blessings to my kids since he told me about that almost four years ago. Um, Is there a person in your life similar to how Bob 
gave me that lesson that you carry forward today? Yeah, there's a guy, he's not alive anymore. And Bob knows him because we had uh, we had lunch with him. He's got a name, Joe Totoris. And uh, Bob and Joe really hit it off too. Joe Totoris, um, you know, this guy could be found in the, in the Styles prison, the prison, you know, where I was serving my time, the Max Security Prison in Beaumont, which is where I live. I live in the same town I went to, I went to prison in. But Joe could be found every Monday night inside the prison chapel. Love fellowshipping with inmates. Love being around the marginalized people of society, man. He truly lived out that gospel, that Matthew 25, mm-hmm. 36. When I was in prison, you visited me. I get really excited when I talk about Joe. Joe passed away in August of cancer. Joe graduated from A&M in 1970, moved back to Beaumont, started his family. In 1976, Johnny started a little sandwich shop here in Beaumont. Little small, little small store. One employee, I mean, one store, four employees, that little sandwich shop. But today, Jason's Deli, Jason's Deli has over, you know, they have over 300 stores. They're in 30 different states. They've got 12,000 employees that, that the little sandwich shop that Joe started back in 1976 has 12,000 employees now. So Joe would always talk about servant leadership, man. And Joe, when I got out of prison, Joe was the, a mentor, a friend. I mean, if there was, I mean, I could go to Joe with anything, man. And Joe would, would guide me through it. He's such a great guy. such a great communi- communicator, such a good leader, man. He led by example. And I asked Joe, I said, Joe, you talk about servant leadership all the time. How did you first hear about servant leadership? He said, he said in the early 90s, Jason's Deli was doing great. He said, we were franchising out. We were growing as a company. He said, and I was making a lot of money. He said, I did everything they taught me in business school, man. I chased down every dollar I could because the almighty dollar was king, right? He said, but I wasn't happy. And neither were my employees. And he said, he, said, he went to a symposium in 1995. He said, there was a guy speaking that day by the name of David Glass. David Glass was the guy Sam Walton handpicked to be his successor at Walmart. Whenever he stepped, when Sam Walton stepped down in the late 80s, Dave, David Glass was the first CEO of Walmart. And David Glass gave a presentation in 1995, and it was about, it, the, the name of the presentation was called Servant Leadership. And that's when Joe understood, what, and he was floored. Joe said, I was blown away. He said, up until that time, I thought a servant was someone that carried the towel. They did menial tasks. They swept the floor. That's what servants did. But then he, he realized he had it all wrong. Because he, he also thought that the leader, he saw the, the leader would sit there and watch his servants work. Joe had it all wrong. Joe, Joe realized then that the leader's job was to make sure that his people, the people he's serving, he's supposed to serve his people and help raise them up to a different station of life. You know, you were talking to me about uh, what can a leader do, but a leader leads by example, man. It gets in there. And becomes with you know, gets one with the people, and, and that's what Joe did, man. He went back to Beaumont. He's, he restructured the way Jason's Deli did business. Gave them better, gave his employees better benefits, better salary wages. He said the cost went up at first, but initially after that happened, something big happened to Jason's Deli. People would go to work there, John, and they would never leave. You know, mm-hmm. when I go over the country to speak, and if there's a Jason's Deli in the town, I'm gonna stop in. I mean, I like the food, and I like to to patronize Joe's company, but. But I also like to find the general manager, the manager, and ask him, hey, man, how long have you been here? How long has your longest employee been here? And the numbers just floored me, John. 18 years, 25 years, 35 years. One employee told me one time he had been at Jason's Deli, working at Jason's Deli for 40 years. 40 years at a restaurant, John. <laughs> Nobody does this stuff. And Joe said, all, you know, his business buddies and CEO buddies would ask him all the time, Joe, man, where do you find your people from, Joe? And he'd tell them the same place you find your people from, but it's what happens when they get on the inside. It's different here. 
And that's the thing about life. Joe led his life. Joe never measured his life by his accumulation of wealth or his business acumen. Hell, Joe had a plane and Joe could go anywhere he wanted to be. But he wanted to be. He wanted to be inside prisons and inside places to, to give back and help other people. Because he said, you know, Damon, if I'm a servant leader, then I know that I'm doing exactly what God has me a role to play today. And that's to find ways to help other people out. And so Joe's example, more than just his stories, were what, what one of the things that led me to be a servant leader, too. It's excellent. I appreciate you sharing that. I think uh, I think anybody that in the professional world can relate uh, to seeing leaders that run their companies like that. And uh, unfortunately, not everybody can relate. Hopefully, more will uh, yeah. in the future. Uh, we can't thank you enough for making time to come on the show. Where can people uh, get the book? Find out more about your work. Make sure you yeah. The books are available. Places. The Change Agent and the Coffee Bean are both available anywhere books are sold. Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, wherever you want to go for anywhere books are sold. My website is damonwest.org. My email is damon at damonwest.org. You want to get in touch with me for a speaking event. Um, I can be reached on Twitter and Instagram at damonwest7. Awesome. Those are the places you can find me. And I would say I would encourage you to follow me on social media. I'm always posting positive stuff. You will never see a political uh, tweet. You'll never see anything that really even has my opinion because all I'm going to give you is stuff that I have picked up along the way. And a lot of this stuff is not theory. This is stuff I tried out and, and made sure it worked inside of a maximum security prison. I tell people all the time, I don't know how hard your workplace is, but that workplace is a little bit harder. <laughs> I hear you. Well, Damon, we can't thank you enough. Uh, continue to inspire and other people to be the best version they can be. It means the world to me. And I know it means so many, to, so much to many others. Thank you. John, thanks a lot. Thanks for your time today, brother.